Support for Talk of the Towns comes from Coastal Drilling and Blasting Incorporated, serving Downey, Central, and Midcoast, Maine, and located at 328 Bucksport Road, Ellsworth, 1-800-640-3515. It's 10.02, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with host Ron Beard is up next. Welcome back, Ron. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. And as Amy said, I've been taking some um, time for uh, travel, and and, uh, we've had some pre-recorded shows over the last uh, month or so, so I am glad to be back live. And uh, this morning we'll be talking about um, nonviolent communication, using empathy and and that form of communication to improve communications. Sometimes, try as we might, we don't seem to be able to connect with the people in our lives. Um, Whatever we've learned about communicating with others just doesn't seem to be working. And I pose the question, what if we had access to all of the world's best practices for connecting with people, and we could put those practices into use in our day-to-day lives? In fact, there's a body of work called nonviolent communication that offers just that. When we link feelings with their underlying human needs for physical well-being, play, choice, honesty, peace, and learning, we treat ourselves and others with more compassion and connection becomes easier and more satisfying. And this morning, to help us with that topic, we're glad to welcome back Peggy Smith, who is an instructor or educator in nonviolent communication. And she reminds us that she's from Lincolnville, not Camden, as I might have said on our promo. Good morning, Ron. Well, glad you could be with us again. And I think we were on on the program a couple of years ago talking about nonviolent communication. So yes, we were. I'm glad to be back. Great. Also in the studios with us are Shep Earhart. Um, Shep is with Maine Coast Sea Vegetables down in Franklin. Is that right, Shep? That's right, Ron. Great. Welcome, welcome to the program. Hi. And Kyle Bissell is here from Odolith or Odolith. Odolith. Odolith Education. Odolith Education. And uh, we'll ask Kyle to tell us a little bit about Odolith Education in a few moments. Um, uh, Peggy, perhaps you could provide us with a little bit of kind of background. How did you get interested in in nonviolent communication and and what is it? I've been interested in more peaceful ways of handling my internal conflict and the external conflicts of the world for pretty much all my life. Mm Mm-hmm. And actually, I first discovered this particular process uh, by listening to WERU uh, probably 11 or 12 years ago on New Dimensions. The creator of this process, Marshall Rosenberg, was being interviewed. And as the hour went on, I found myself getting closer and closer to the radio and paying more and more attention. I went right out and bought his book, read a chapter or two and put it down and got lost in a pile in my house for a number of years until I had the opportunity to go to a workshop with Marshall Rosenberg himself. And 
that got me really inspired, and I've been working on it ever since. Mm. And for many years, you were a classroom teacher. 32 years. Mm. I've taught in the state of Maine in both public and private schools. Mm. And this June, I wrapped that up so I could devote myself full-time to spreading nonviolent communication consciousness here in Maine. Great. We'll find out a little bit more about um, the concept in just a moment. But I'll ask um, also Shep Earhart of Maine Coast Sea Vegetables to tell us a little bit about um, his business and, and, uh, and how that might connect with nonviolent communication. Shep? Hmm. <laughs> you, you've been in business for, what, 30? I've been in business for about 37 years. Mm. Um, and what what Maine Sea Coast uh, Maine Coast Sea Vegetables? Yeah, Maine Coast Sea Vegetables. Yeah. We we harvest and sell native seaweeds mm. to uh, the National Foods Company all over the country, and uh, it's a thriving little business, growing bigger every day, and uh, more and more people are involved. So there are now about twenty of us uh, year round in house, and then a whole bunch of harvesters. And nonviolent communication is. <sighs> playing a, a, a really a crucial role because now I'm the human resource person as well as a lot of other things mm. in the business. And uh, so when people uh, have meltdowns or lose it in one way or another, they usually end up in my office and mm-hmm. uh, learning to listen and um, give some empathy and uh, uh, understand their feelings and needs has been very useful. Mm. And how did you first learn about nonviolent communication? I was, I was trying to remember the exact first time when Peggy was talking. I heard, I think the first time that I really connected, listened closely, moved closer to the radio, as she said, <laughs> was a tape I heard of Marshall speaking about his experiences in, uh, I think, Sarajevo and uh, Africa. And I was really moved by uh, how he could go into such high-energy uh, conflict areas and still bring uh, a, 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 a connection and, and, and peace. Mm, mm. That really uh, touched me. And illustrating, I think, as we'll talk about, um, this is a universal. This isn't um, something that um, is in um, white middle-class America and, and only useful there. Um, it's useful in many, many different situations. Oh, and how. Mm. Everywhere. Let's hear a little bit about Otolith Education, and, and Kyle, how did you connect with um, nonviolent communication? Good morning. Uh, I connected with nonviolent communication about seven years ago. A very good friend of mine introduced me to uh, the book Nonviolent Communication, A Language for Life by Marshall Rosenberg. Mm-hmm. And it, similar to Peggy, I, I put it down for a little while, and I don't think I ever read the whole book cover to cover. I've at certain times in my life have picked it up and really focused on certain chapters. Um, since then, I've gone to see Marshall Rosenberg uh, in person at wor- workshops that he's convened, and I've also been to workshops with Peggy Smith on a, on a number of occasions. Odalith Education is a nonprofit that I started about a year ago uh, with several other co-founders. And we are dedicated to initiating movement within learning communities to ignite the natural curiosity and wonder uh, uh, for learning in people while also implementing and inspiring innovation and education. And part of that is how we uh, take the concepts of nonviolent communication to really help people connect first with themselves and then with the other people around them. Mm. Uh, 
So with Odolith, we're really trying, one of the things we're trying to do is stimulate connection and positive connection mm. with the natural world, with our technological world, and with our social world. Mm. Great oh, great way to, to kind of frame that. Um, back to Peggy. Um, all of you have mentioned um, the creator, originator of nonviolent communication, Marshall Rosenberg. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about this person and uh, what you've learned uh, you know, about nonviolent communication since kind of encountering him? Mm. Well, Marshall's a very uh, inspirational storyteller and speaker and activist. And his history was he grew up in Detroit um, in a very poor family. And he learned at a young age that uh, life could be dangerous depending on how you look or what your name is. So he was very curious about why people could be cruel to each other. At the same time, he saw a lot of compassion in his life, and so he was curious as to what is it within human nature that allows us to be cruel, and what is the aspect of human nature that uh, allows us to be compassionate even when we've been the object of cruelty. And so this was a personal passion of his, and as he grew up and went to college and became a psychologist, those questions have um, been the underpinning of his personal curiosities, and through that, he developed this process of nonviolent communication. And my understanding is that he really did look at all of the world's religions, all of the, you know, he looked at so many different things to see, are there some common um, threads? Tell us a little bit Absolutely. about Absolutely. Know. In fact, when people come to a workshop, they'll often say, oh, this reminds me of this, or this reminds me of that. Mm-hmm. So it's not that he created something totally new. What I think is his great uh, benefit to us is that he took the essence of many practices, both spiritual and psychological, and distilled them into a very simple process so that even within um, a two-day workshop, you can get the essence of the, of the uh, skill and then after that, it's practice. Mm, life, lifelong practice. Lifelong practice, yes. <laughs> well, let's, again, we're not going to give a two-day workshop or even a two-hour workshop. <laughs> We've got an hour, but maybe you can help us see the, those um, kind of simple steps that he's talked about. Simple to talk about, perhaps more difficult to put in practice. Absolutely. I think uh, one way to describe it is that he was able to uh, tease out what's habitual for us, what we've become used to in our culture. And when I say our culture, I don't even just mean American culture, but the culture that has developed over several thousands of years um, with what's natural in human nature and not to confuse what's habitual with what's natural. Hmm. And his belief is that we've been acculturated in our educational system, and I don't just mean the local school, but our whole culture, to judge constantly what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong. But that we've been trained to do that as opposed to responding from our, uh, co- our natural sense of compassion, that really humans are motivated by joy and meeting people's needs. Um, but we've been trained to be motivated by fear, guilt, shame, obligation, or duty. Mm. And one of the things I think is very liberating in nonviolent communication is we learn that we don't really have to, we can choose not to be motivated by fear, guilt, shame, obligation, or duty. Mm. Mm. And that's a choice that we have. 
and tell us a little bit about the um, the term nonviolent communication. There's a connection between what, what you were just saying, I think, and this this how Marshall coined the term. Yeah, well, uh, it's a lot of controversy. <laughs> <laughs> people, there are many people who really don't like that name, mm-hmm. um, and yet Marshall has uh, stuck with it even with a lot of feedback. And that's because he really connects to the word nonviolent as Gandhi used the term. Mm. And this is really important. And he wants to keep that connection to uh, what Gandhi shared with us, which is that violence doesn't mean I'm hitting someone or yelling at someone. It means am I making them an enemy within my own mind? Am I making myself or the other person wrong? And that that's the transformation to peace. Can I deal with an issue without making myself wrong and without making the other person wrong? And that is nonviolence. And that goes to the notion that we've been uh, cultured, if you will, <coughs> to judge. Yes. And so if we can stop judging, perhaps, and, and take things as they are, or ask questions so we can find out how things are, we're in a better place. Yes, retain our curiosity, mm-hmm. as someone was just saying mm-hmm. to me the other day. If I can retain curiosity... In a, in a conflict, then I'm on the road to a peaceful resolution where everyone's needs are met, not where we both compromise. And that's another little mm. difference. It's mm. uh, not win-win that's based on ev- both people giving up something mm-hmm. so that neither one feels really nurtured, mm-hmm. but how do we come to the end where we both feel really positive about what has resulted. Mm. Kyle, when you take um, young folks or anybody out into nature, um, do they judge nature or do they observe it or are they curious? <laughs> Great question. So judging is one of the things that, uh, one of the actions that we're, we're very good at, judging something as beautiful um, or ugly. Or, and one of the activities that we do with students out in the, in the wild is really working on pure observation. Mm. So pure observation being something that we can see, something that we can, something that we hear, something that we can feel or touch. Um, and, and just having discussions about judgments being, and again, like as Peggy was saying, judgments not necessarily being bad and really trying to get out of that mindset of, okay, what's, this is bad or this is good or something that isn't NVC, nonviolent communication is bad, but taking judgments as, oh, well, I just made a judgment. I said, that is a beautiful view right there. That tree is magnificent. That's a judgment. What observations? Now let's, let's trace that back like a root, and let's get to the root observations that may be more, uh, more pure, more true to the identity of that particular tree or, or view that you're looking at. So and also in, in allow the nature others. of a sunset or a, or a view, what sure. would you be asking people to look at or m- what might you observe yourself as to, it, rather than labeling it as beautiful? Yeah. What would you be looking for someone to, to see? Well, if you and I, there's some trees that I'm thinking of specifically mm-hmm. that are up near the Gulf Hagus region mm-hmm. in, in northern Maine. And they're... Ma- uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. If I would say to you they're magnificent mm-hmm. white pines, mm-hmm. I, you may connect with that as well, but we could connect more fully by me saying, you know, Ron, look at, look at the, the diameter of that tree mm-hmm. 
is so big mm-hmm. that you and I holding hands can't get around the trunk. Mm-hmm. My neck is starting to ache looking up trying to reach the top of this tree. Asking questions about how old it might be. Really beginning to connect about the specifics that bring us to that label of being magnificent. Mm. That's great. Thanks for, for getting us to that observation, because observation is one of these first steps, isn't it, in terms of nonviolent communication, is what are we seeing? Peggy? Absolutely. Observation is the first step. And uh, Krishnamurti said that making a real observation is the highest form of human intelligence. Hmm. We're hmm. so used to judging and using words that label um, that we're not even aware that we're m- not really making an observation Mm. So learning to hone those skills. And uh, I really enjoy how Kyle does that of not even saying, oh, well, that's a uh, a judgment that's not NBC. He goes, oh, there's uh, – oh, I'm aware I'm making a judgment now. What observations led me to that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been a wonderful learning tool for me that uh, I thank Kyle for. Right. So the the water is wet and I'm feeling uncomfortable. Um, about the, being wet, that's an observation rather than, than kind of judging the water. <laughs> yes. So talk about um, the, the, the process of observation in human interactions and, and what, what you're looking for um, when you're playing out that first step in the process. And, and maybe it would be useful to talk about all four steps and then go back. Peggy? Mm-hmm. Well, we were talking about a little skit that had to do with uh, somebody coming in, quote, late. Mm. So This is a judgment when someone arrives later than you were expecting. Uh, We would say, oh, you're late. And while we think we're all in agreement about what that means, uh, we may not be. So an observation is uh, I'm seeing you walking in the door uh, 20 minutes past the time I thought we had agreed you would be here. Mm-hmm. that's an observation as opposed to you're late. Hmm. Well, let's try that skit. Maybe that's, that's a useful thing <laughs> to try that skit. Um, and I think we had it, had it worked out between um, Chef ready. and Peggy. Okay. <laughs> well, look, it's 20 past 12, and you're late again. What's going on? Uh, would you just stop being so demanding and keeping track of me? We're doing a non. We're doing a, a normal right. interaction as right. opposed to a nonviolent communication. Sure. And sure. I wanted to get clear on that one Sorry. first. Yes. <laughs> this Great. never happens in my household, but uh, we'll try it. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, but you know what happened? I mean, I you know we had an agreement, and you you broke it, and I'm I'm mad. And I'm really aggravated that you're uh, keeping track of me like this. So blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the usual scenarios that we get into with people that we know, we can almost we know the script just about uh, a half a second after someone's uh, opened their mouth or maybe even before we've walked to the door. We already know what the script is going to be. Mm-hmm. So now we were thinking that we would illustrate it a little differently where – um, instead of hearing people's judgments, when I've got my nonviolent communication mindset mm. firmly in place, I'm going to only listen to that person's feelings and needs. And I'm going to be listening for my feelings and needs instead of hearing the judgments that they're making of me mm-hmm. or hearing the judgments I'm making of myself. Okay, so let's, let's try that skip using the skills of nonviolent communication. Uh, Shep? So where have you been? I've been waiting for 15 minutes for you. Wow, I'm, I'm wondering if you're feeling annoyed 
and frustrated. Oh, yeah. You're darn right I am. Mm. Uh, I'm having a sense that you're feeling aggravated because of your need for consideration and harmony and and effectiveness. Yeah, you said you were going to be here 15 minutes ago and you didn't come and this has happened over and over again and I, I'm getting tired of it. Mm. So you're feeling really frustrated because you want to make sure that uh, I consider our agreements um, as important as you consider them. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's right. I'd like you to understand my perspective and where where I'm coming from, and 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 treat me as 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 you would treat yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And Great. so I Great. here I I noticed as the other side of this, the first res- few responses, the other person was still charged right, very up. charged, mm. and then there was a real softening, and from there that's a place where we can connect and resolve whatever this particular Mm. issue is. So I noticed, um, Peggy, that you were kind of um, testing out some things. You were fishing, Mm. if you were, for um, um, what Shep was, what was beneath his words. Is that an observation correct? Yes, Uh, because I never know what feelings and needs another person is having. Mm-hmm. I might suspect, I might, uh, but if I'm really convinced I know, mm-hmm. I'm probably on the wrong track. <laughs> and it probably has a lot to do with what's alive in me right now, right. not in them. So that illustrates the, the, the second step, if you will. Observation, um, um, you're not here at the time you said you were going to be. That's the observation. But the second step is talking about, I wonder what the feelings are that are under underlying that. Is that right? Yes, the feelings, and the feelings point me right away to the needs. Okay. That's what we're really after. Mm-hmm. The, the basis of nonviolent communication is that every human being has the same internal needs. And that's why I can communicate with someone who I think I'm in conflict with. Uh, because we both share the same needs. Mm. We may have different strategies for getting those needs met, and we may be having different feelings right in this moment, Mm -hmm. but our needs are the same once we can get to which ones are activated right now within a certain person. We're going to have to probably talk about what needs look like. Mm. What what are, what would, how would you describe the difference between feelings and and needs using the nonviolent communication kind of framework, if you would? Mm. Well, I like to think of it as feelings are in my body. Mm-hmm. I can, um, and I need to, it's very important to be careful because in our culture we tend to say two different phrases, you make me feel, mm-hmm. right? And I feel that you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, while we're using the word feel, we're not using it in the way that nonviolent communication uses the word feel. Um, when I say you make me feel, then I'm giving my power away to you. And what stimulates feelings in me are, are my own needs, either having a sense that they're being met or not met in a certain situation. And when I say, I feel that you, I'm really expressing a judgment or a thought. So it would be more um, within alignment of this process to say, I think that you Mm-hmm. should close the door or mm-hmm. show up on time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so feelings are something that I'm experiencing in my body. And there, I think of them as the um, indicators on my car. They're just giving me information. Mm-hmm. Uh, is my tank full or empty? Mm-hmm. You know, Is my battery running well or not? Um, so my feelings are ways for me to know, oh, my internal needs are either feeling stimulated in a positive way or a negative way in this moment. Okay. 
I'll just remind listeners that they're tuned to WERU this morning, and we're talking about using empathy and nonviolent communication as we try to connect with with others in our lives. And in our studio, we have Peggy Smith, who's a nonviolent communication instructor, also joined uh, by Shep Earhart of Maine Coast Sea Vegetables and Kyle Bissell of Odalith Education. And we're glad to have calls from you at any time. If you'd like to um, give us a call, um, the toll-free numbers are one 866 Six two five nine three seven eight or four six nine zero five zero zero. We're talking about the four steps in in nonviolent communication, and and Peggy, you've outlined kind of the observation stage, and then looking for my own feelings if I'm the person, or looking for the feelings in others, and that relates to needs. Talk about um, what needs are that we might have common needs. Mm. Well, we think of needs as internal and universal. Mm-hmm. So every human being who's alive have the same needs. And I also like to think of this as all beings have a certain set of needs. So a pine tree has a certain set of needs. Some are the same needs as I have, but some are a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's not that only humans have needs, but humans have a particular set of needs. Mm. Often we hear the phrase, um, gee, I I need a a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. That isn't what you're talking about. No. What are we needing when we need a cup of coffee? Yes. What are we needing when we say, I need a cup of coffee? That's a really good question. Mm -hmm. Uh, For some of us, we need uh, to wake up more and actually have a friend who says that coffee calms her down. Mm -hmm. So those are things that are strategies for getting our needs met. And I think that's a really important point because we often will say, especially to people within our family, I need you to respect me more. Mm That's not a need when I associate someone uh, with uh, what I'm calling a need. That's really a strategy Mm -hmm. because if I have uh, a need for my um, beloved to uh, do something for me, uh, you might not have – the need for my beloved to do that for you. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's not, that's not universal. The need is universal, but when I attach a certain person to it, then it's a strategy mm-hmm. to get that need met. So talk about the different kinds of needs um, that we have that are universal. Uh-huh. Uh, we have needs for physical well-being. Uh, we have needs for um, learning, for creativity, um, for peace, harmony, growth, mm-hmm. learning. Mm-hmm. So d- different than the pine pine tree that um, probably we think starts um, having those physical safety needs, <laughs> water and sunshine and air, those kinds of things. We have uh, s- some more complex needs, um, that you, but you're saying that they're universal. Amongst humans, they're okay. universal. Whether they're met or not, mm-hmm. they, the need still exists. Mm-hmm. So whether someone has food um, is, doesn't change that they need food. Mm-hmm. Whether someone has the opportunity to grow and learn um, doesn't negate whether they have that need within them, whether okay. it's met or unmet. Okay. Good. Um, well, let's take it to the, the last step that we've, we've talked about. So we've um, observed something. We've fished around, if you went in ourselves or in the other person, to find out what the feelings are that might give us a sense of what the needs are. And the last step is to make a request of some sort. Talk a little bit about that. Well, there's two kinds of requests, uh, a connecting request. So when I've done an observation of feeling and a need conversation with someone, I'm going to want to make sure that they think I'm hearing them correctly. So I'm going to want to make a connecting request uh, where I'm going to ask them, well, how do you feel hearing me say that? 
because if they're hearing me judge them, then I want to try to go back and do it again so mm-hmm. that I'm so that there's uh, some connection between us. And after I feel connected to someone, then I can make an action request of what strategy I'd really like them to do that would make my life more wonderful. Mm-hmm. Because that's the other piece of this. What we're trying to do is make our lives more wonderful. Mm. So let's go back to the situation that you and Shep were talking about. Um, we didn't quite play it out to that stage mm-hmm. of making a request. And, and in, in this case, um, both of you might have had needs that were being unmet. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Talk about how you'd then take it to that next stage. Um, you know, and, and maybe play it out. Um, um, Shep has d- discovered, I think, in that skit that you really did understand that he needed kind of a respect for an agreement that you had made. So it's a kind of a mutual respect about time mm. and about each other. Um, what's the request then that Shep might make of you, Peggy, the person in the skit that was late, um, that would kind of um, help with that? Shep, what, what do you think? First, I'd like to hear your connecting request for me. To, to make sure that we're connected. Yeah. And it's so interesting for me that it's so much in the moment that it's a little hard for me to capture the exact energy we had sure. five minutes ago <laughs> when we were there. But I, even though I had a sense of, of Shep softening that he was being heard, I'd want to really make sure about that. So um, I'm wondering uh, how you feel now that you hear me um, be aware that you might be feeling frustrated and that you have a need for consideration and honoring of our agreements? I'm feeling a lot less tension in my body, and uh, I'm, I'm not feeling uh, particularly angry at you at the moment. Um, so I'm, I'm more open and receptive uh, and uh, feel like I've been heard and understood. Feels good. So I'm wondering if you'd be willing to uh, take just uh, two minutes to hear what happened that uh, created this situation that I ended up arriving 20 minutes late. Sure. I can listen to that. So there's an example of a a request. Yeah. That was the action for him to listen Mm -hmm. to me. And then I might make a request also, Mm -hmm. something along the lines of maybe, uh, boy, I'd really, really make my life more wonderful if you'd be willing to give me a ring if you're going to be late. Great. Something very concrete, in Great. other words. Something Great. specific that she actually can, can carry out, perhaps. Right. And, and that, then she gets to say yes or no. Okay. I have no control over that. Great. But it's a specific request. Mm. So you're listening again to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about using empathy and nonviolent communication. And in our studio, we have Peggy Smith, a nonviolent communications instructor, and Shep Earhart of Maine Coast Sea Vegetables, and Kyle Bissell of Odalith Education, both of whom um, use nonviolent communication in their work. And so I think that's great to, to uh, see that connection. If you've got a call, um, or a question rather, or an observation about nonviolent communication, or you've got a situation that you'd like to hear, have some, some feedback on, give us a call at one 625 9378 And I will mention that this is, um, uh, conti- we're continuing our pledge drive here at WERU to have programs like this um, we need your support. And Kathleen of Blue Hill called in with her renewal, and you can do that at any time. Our, our phone answer will, will help you with that process. And that line is one eight hundred 
643-6273. That's our pledge line. If you'd like to get right here to the studio, you can call us at 1-866-625-9378 or 469-0500. Well, let's learn a little bit more about how um, Shep and Kyle um, kind of use nonviolent communication in, in your work. Um, um, Shep, again, you mentioned that you kind of lead a, uh, an organization and also serve as a human resources kind of um, uh, resource in that setting. Um, tell us a little bit about um, how you would tend to use nonviolent communication. I just had a, uh, an, a golden opportunity just this week. As mm-hmm. a matter of fact, comes up all the time, actually. Um, I had somebody who was uh, very upset uh, with me and my business for various reasons and uh, had communicated with me via email a few times in a way that was um, in a way that I could easily react to and felt myself starting to get a little bit defensive. Mm-hmm. That's a sure sign that uh, it's time for um, put on my nonviolent communication hat. <laughs> uh, and I... Instead of responding or reacting, I just asked for a meeting. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that meeting, I practiced one of the core uh, values of nonviolent communication, which is empathy. I basically listened uh, with an open mind and uh, grounded in my my body in the present. And... um, reflected back to this person what I thought I heard them saying uh, and feeling and um, and then took a guess at what they might be needing and uh, sure enough I you know I, I, in this case I was well they at least conferred that uh, what I was guessing at was true mm-hmm. and as soon as I got a sense that I understood their needs there was this shift. There's a definite shift that comes of um, the, the, the antagonistic relationship is put aside or relaxes, and there's more of a sense of connection and, oh, you know, mm. we're two humans here. Let's work this out. Mm-hmm. And I, so I don't use nonviolent communication formally in the workplace. I don't say, okay, we're going to sit down <laughs> and have an NBC uh, dialogue. <laughs> but uh, I do bring the skills that I've learned through my NBC training um, into probably every uh, communication that I can because it's very useful and it helps me stay connected with myself and the people that I'm working with. Great, great. We have a phone call. Uh, you can participate as well if you'd like to give us a call at one uh, This is a toll-free number, one 625 We'd have a caller now. Go ahead with your question and, and uh, where you're calling from, please. Hi, I'm calling from Gouldsboro. I have a real-world conundrum um, for you. I was wondering how you would respond to someone who is misusing the language of violent, nonviolent communication violently. Um, <laughs> my my stepfather, uh, ex, thankfully, stepfather was a master of using misusing the language of nonviolent communication to um, after being a psychologically tremendously abusive to if we um, responded by saying you're making us feel terrible stop he would say uh, that we needed to take responsibility for our reactions and that he couldn't make us feel anything 
which I just thought that was sort of the ultimate um, conundrum of um, how would you respond to that, since that's obviously not the intent of nonviolent communication, but unfortunately, um, I know from personal experience, there are some people who find it um, convenient to misuse the language. So um, I'll take my answer off the air. Thanks. Okay. Thanks very much for your call this morning. Um, we all have um, opportunities to, to um, manipulate others and manipulate language. And so this caller is asking about that. Peggy, can you help maybe with some, some response about how you, if, if that were happening to you, how you might deal with that? I think uh, making sure that I take time to receive empathy uh, for what's going on inside of me is really important, especially in really close relationships where I'm triggered. So um, sometimes we can respond in the moment, and sometimes uh, it's not so helpful. Mm. Um, so that's the first piece. It, the part of taking responsibility is to become really aware of how am I responding and to not believe or disbelieve what the other person is saying. And so what became stimulated in me when I heard that uh, was an awareness that if someone was saying that to me, I wouldn't feel connected to them. And so uh, I might start to be feeling angry or annoyed or scared, sad. It, each time it could be different. Mm -hmm. And once I learned the process, I develop um, the ability to respond authentically. So when I'm hearing you say that, I, I feel really torn because while in theory I, I believe that's true. What's uh, true? Uh, what this person had said to her was, I can't make you mm -hmm. feel, mm -hmm. right? Um, I feel torn um, because while in theory I believe that to be true, I'm realizing in this instant I'm, I'm feeling really sad or aggravated, whatever is real, um, because I have need for connection and to know that I matter. Mm. And I'm mm. will wondering if you'd be willing to tell me what you're hearing me say. Mm. I can imagine um, in the eyes of, or ears of the listener that that's, that's, um, that may be a, d a dangerous place to hang out in <laughs> um, if someone is abusive. So maybe this isn't, um, maybe you need, as you said, to take some time out you may not be able to respond in that in that moment when you're feeling that scared. Mm. It may be. I think one of the beauties of nonviolent communication is only one person needs to know it okay. in order for it to be effective. And uh, Marshall tells a really uh, interesting, well, I find interesting story uh, in one of his books about a woman who worked at a homeless shelter. And uh, one evening, a man who uh, was... Um, probably weighed uh, quite a bit more than her. Uh, it was late at night. He seemed to be sort of in an altered consciousness from uh, stimulants of some sort, came in for a bed, and the shelter was full. So after she explained to him there was no bed, basically he attacked her, and she found herself on the floor with a, a knife at her throat. And she said, well, you know, what are my choices? And she decided to practice nonviolent communication. And uh, the gist of the story is that within... Uh, period of time, a half hour or so, she's back at her desk. She's helping him find another place to sleep that night. And uh, she goes back to another uh, training in a few weeks, and she's hmm. sharing the story with Marshall. And Marshall says, um, well, you obviously understand nonviolent communication. Why did you come back for another session? And she said, well, now I want you to teach me how to do the, 
this with someone really difficult, like my mother. (laughs) So, you know, we all have our edges. Mm. So it's not necessarily that the person is violent that makes this useful or not useful. It's more how triggered am I in this situation. Um, So how secure and comfortable am I in my own empathy skills Mm. that makes it effective or not. Mm -hmm. We're going to return to the the theme of empathy in just a moment, but I want Kyle to to, uh, share a little bit. And Kyle, you observed a a classroom situation. Um, Maybe you could share that story. Sure. Yeah, with Odalith, we, we focus everything we do around human needs. So whether it's the needs of the the children or the parents or the school administrators or the teachers that we're working with, because the u- needs are universal, we do a needs assessment and move forward with the program design from there. And I had the pleasure of, of working over in the Czech Republic uh, last winter and working w- with uh, students from all around the world in a uh, fourth-grade classroom. And there were students from uh, China, uh, the Czech Republic, Russia, Germany, Spain, uh, all over the world, Pakistan, India. And uh, there was a new student in the classroom who uh, had been there a few weeks, and um, there was another group of students who were drawing on the, on the chalkboard and uh, very engaged in what they were doing. Uh, people were taking turns drawing and adding to this picture. And this one student... Uh, came up to the group, the new student came up to the group and moved some folks aside with his arms and wiped out what was on the chalkboard. And uh, almost immediately there was a, an erupt of conversation that was directed towards this, this young, young boy. And uh, I watched the teacher, uh, another one of the f- co-founders of Odalith Education, Carrie McDonald, uh, bring the group together and sit them down and use the skills... Uh, of nonviolent communication that she had been working with the students on and that I had been working on the students on to very slowly bring out the feelings in everybody. And what was very evident was the uh, habitual response that was right underneath the surface that Peggy was referring to earlier of that, that knee-jerk reaction to want to blame and to be right, and to place oneself in the victim role. Look what, look what so-and-so just did. That's just wrong. Aren't you going to do something about it? Mm. And Carrie steered the conversation back to really looking at feelings, and she had a word bank there for the students to look at some feelings. I am feeling this right now. And when she came around to the one student who was, who was new that everyone t- seemed interested in blaming, he stated what his feelings were. He was scared, and he was sad. And the expressions and just on everybody's faces changed when they heard that. And as they began to really connect with this other student, saying, oh, well, I know what it's like to be scared and sad. I didn't realize you were feeling scared and sad. Mm. And so there's a, a, an ability that we have as humans to kind of turn other people into enemy combatants, if you will, <laughs> and people that are wrongdoers. Mm-hmm. And 
As the conversation continued, we slowly got to needs and identifying what needs of ours were at the root that were not met, that stimulated these feelings that we had. So the feelings, in other words, were right on the surface, but we really kind of went searching for the needs that were the root. And then we really started connecting with each other's needs. And this one young boy had a need for acceptance and inclusion. He was new. He was new. new. Right. And the students really latched onto that. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the beginning of of the healing process. Mm -hmm. And for the students there and other students that I've worked with that have been through that process, they really, uh, I had one high school student uh, say to another new student that I was working with a few years ago, he was introducing the new student to me, and he said, never do anything uh, that would typically get you in trouble at another school with Kyle, because, well, first of all, you won't really get in trouble, but you and Kyle, you'll have a conversation where a lot of thought will be stimulated, and you <laughs> That's a very interesting reaction. Yeah. yeah. So I, I've noticed a lot more connection mm-hmm. with myself mm-hmm. and the students, mm. uh, a new level of trust. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Perhaps you've got a question for us or an observation. Um, give us a call toll-free, 1-866-625-9378. Here on Talk of the Towns, we're talking about nonviolent communication as a way to connect with people. Uh, Peggy, I know that you um, had hoped we'd talk about empathy and it sounds like getting to connection, uh, understanding people's uh, feelings, my own feelings and your feelings, is, is something about empathy. So talk a little bit about that concept as it plays out in nonviolent communication. Well, empathy is one of our basic human needs that, uh, in my opinion, uh, are, it runs very unmet mm. for most of us. And empathy... Um, is a word we use very specifically in nonviolent communication. It's really the power of being very present with the other person without, um, well, instead of the negative, I'm going to try to make the positive, mm-hmm. with a, a, a deep understanding that that person is whole and complete already. I don't need to fix them. They're not victims. They're not... Uh, They may be in pain right at this moment, but they are basically a whole healthy being, no matter what their life circumstance is, and that we are not the victims of of our life. We have a choice in every moment. So, yeah, I really wanted to talk about empathy because empathy is something we can do even without going to a nonviolent communication training workshop. So one of the things, some of the things we typically do when we have a friend, let's say, or our child or our partner telling us a story, we're listening, but we're constantly judging. What could they have done differently? How could I educate them or advise them or fix it for them or console them? Or I may be really triggered myself, so my sympathetic uh, response is involved. These are all wonderful things, but they block empathy. Mm. So uh, what we can do with our friend, child, beloved, is listen, trying to keep my own story out of it. Just hear. And that is so healing. If someone can have five minutes of my true presence, it's very healing for them. In fact, my daughter taught me that when she was 15, before I learned nonviolent communication, she came home from high school one day, very agitated, and... um, I'm a fix. I was a fixer, so um, I was trying to 
interrogate her a little bit and try to find out what was the matter. And finally, in exasperation, she said, okay, I'll talk to you, but you have to promise not to do anything, say anything, call anyone, or email anyone. <laughs> Great. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and um, I, I thought I was able to make that commitment. Mm. And, um, and she did share with me, and it was a very connecting moment. Right. And that's a great example of, of uh, Marshall Rosenberg kind of looking around, and he probably encountered Carl Rogers, who was working probably prior to mm-hmm. Marshall, talking about empathetic yeah. listening and kind of saying, that really connects with what I'm tr- talking about. Let's build that in somehow. In fact, Marshall worked with Carl Rogers directly mm-hmm. as a young man who had just gotten his Ph.D. in psychology. Mm-hmm. And um, through that work, realized that all the schooling that he had just gone through mm-hmm. perhaps was going to interfere with what he really wanted to be able to do, which is connect and with people and help them heal from their mm-hmm. suffering. Mm-hmm. So he was able to kind of put that into his own practice probably and then think about it as, as he began to build this, this, this system, if you will, or idea. Ideas. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'll list our phone numbers one more time because we do have a few, for, few more minutes. Um, 1-866-625-9378 if you'd like to participate in this conversation about nonviolent communication. Um, what happens when empathy gets blocked? You know, that's one of the things that, you know, it, when, when your daughter wasn't getting your full attention or, or the, um, the, the attention seemed to be um, fixing it. What happens to us when our when empathy gets blocked? Hmm. Uh, for me, when empathy is blocked, I go into judgment, and usually it's judgment of myself. Hmm. And so it can I end up feeling very disconnected, and uh, it can lead to depression and other forms of things that we call sort of mental imbalance. Mm-hmm. So you're speaking about empathy as kind of a flow of some sort that can get blocked. And if it gets blocked, something happens. Absolutely. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Kyle or or Shep, can you think of examples how how empathy is part of how you think about nonviolent communication, Kyle? Sure. Uh, I think of empathy, nonviolent communication uses the giraffe as a a symbol for, well, for empathy, among other things. Mm -hmm. One of the things I like, because it has such a big heart, Mm -hmm. the giraffe has a 26-pound heart, Mm -hmm. biggest heart of any land mammal hmm. and because it needs to pump all that blood up that gigantic <laughs> that's, neck that's right and so when i'm in a place where i'm either having trouble giving myself empathy or providing somebody else with empathy um i tend to notice that physiologically my chest feels more it feels tighter mm-hmm. it feels closed mm. and i visually try to imagine my heart getting bigger and providing more room for myself and for other people. Mm-hmm. I know that times when I am not empathic with myself or with others, I look back and I, I, uh, I recognize that I didn't connect fully, and I see an opportunity missed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll agree too that the empathy for me starts in the body, not the mind. Yes, mm. thank uh, you, Chef. Both giving it to myself and to others. I need to be in touch with my own physicality, my own presence, my own being, uh, if I'm in my mind, I'm pretty surely going to be making uh, some kind of judgment, mm. uh, trying to figure it out some trying way. Trying to fix it. Trying to fix it. Right. That doesn't work. We do have a call. Let's take that call. Tell us um, where you're calling from and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. 
Ron, this is Pat Jennings um, and my work in court mediation. Listening and hearing is the cure-all. So thanks a lot for doing this. <laughs> Great. Pat, tell us a little bit about how you would use listening, empathetic listening, in your, in your mediation process. Um, well, it's um, pretty clear that when emotions are ruling, the uh, hearing aids need to be turned up because um, not listening does not get you open to possibilities of where to go as far as solutions. Mm. And you just shut, and people shut down and get into fear. Mm. So um, it, you know, it minimizes the opportunities. So. Marshall, Marshall Rosenberg calls that stinking thinking. Yes, yes, absolutely. Great. Well, Pat, thanks for your call this morning. Thanks, Pat. Okay. Well, thank you, Ron, and all. Okay. Great. You are listening to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about nonviolent communication with our guest, Peggy Smith, uh, instructor in nonviolent communication from Lincolnville, Shep Earhart of Maine Coast Sea Vegetables, and Kyle Bissell of Odalith Education. Well, we're almost at the end of the hour. What would you like people to kind of walk away with? Um, maybe some resources? Maybe, um, Peggy, you're doing some workshops. There may be other folks doing workshops. Let's, let's let listeners know some of, some of that. I've just been really impressed with, with the books that I've, I've reviewed and seen and the uh, websites that help us understand nonviolent communication. Can you provide some of that information, Peggy? Sure. Um, the books can be purchased at your local bookstore. Um, and to see the breadth of books that are out there, people can go to the website for the Center for Nonviolent Communication, and that site is cnvc.org. That's the Center for Nonviolent Communication. You can also uh, see how nonviolent communication is used all over the world at that website. And you can find uh, instructors all over the world. Here in Maine, we have the Maine Nonviolent Communication Network. And that website is, it's rather long. <laughs> Maine, spelled like the state, M-A-I-N-E-N-V-C-N-E-T-W-O-R-K.org. But if, if you have a search engine, you can just basically say Maine and nonviolent communication, and that site will come up. We have a very short, um, we understand, very short comment or question. Um, go ahead with your question or comment, please. I'd like to ask you to just repeat that Gandhi quote that you did in the beginning. It was wonderful. Okay. Thanks so much for your call, the Gandhi quote. Well, I wouldn't say it's a quote. Okay, but, uh, but it's a... my paraphrasing that uh, Gandhi uh, believed that if I make an enemy image of myself or the other, that is the beginning of violence. Mm, mm. So it's, it's, it's the kind of why Marsha Rosenberg wants to keep with that um, notion of nonviolent communication. Absolutely. It's less about hitting and more about what it does when we, when we don't um, have empathy for ourselves and, and the other. Exactly. Mm. Yes. Peggy, you're going to be doing some workshops. There are other instructors who do workshops. Tell us a little bit about those. Yes, if people would like to get started with a workshop in nonviolent communication, we have some coming up in the next two months in Camden, Southwest Harbor, and Brunswick. And I'm trying a new thing. I'm also doing that same uh, curriculum, but is evening classes, eight sessions. And we're going to try those in Bangor, Portland, and Rockland. And all that information can be found at the Maine Nonviolent Communication Network website. Great. And those of you who have computers that um, allow you to look at things like YouTube, even on, on, on that site, you're seeing people play it out 
um, you can see little short clips of nonviolent communication in use. So it's great. It's yes, great. and there is the uh, nonviolent communication um, academy, and that you can learn online um, from trainers from all over the country. Great. Well, well, we'll go to each of our guests and ask them for one kind of hope around nonviolent communication in, in your lives or in the world or in Maine, um, and, and, and start with Kyle, if we could. My hope is that as people explore NVC in their own life, that they remember um, that it's, it's not this model to mm. be kind of contained by, mm-hmm. um, that it is a starting point for yourself to begin to really find more joy in your own life and with your relationships with others. Um, And to keep in mind that if you sense that NVC is being used in a way that's stimulating suffering, that's not NVC. Mm -hmm. Its goal is to stimulate joy. Great. Um, How about you, Shep? I hope that... Uh, our study in NBC, nonviolent communication, will uh, come to integrate it into their lives so fully that they're not practicing NBC anymore. <laughs> yeah. They're just living their lives. Great. Great. And Peggy? I'd uh, just like to ditto all of that. Um, I think that as humans, we're at a turning point, right? the great turning, and we're going to decide how we're going to survive or not on this planet and that nonviolent communication is a tool that can really help us move forward in a life-sustaining way. Mm, great. Well, thanks to all of you for being our guests here on Talk of the Thank Towns. You. I do want to mention that uh, Susan and Kathleen have just called uh, not too long ago with a renewal. They say that we love WERU. And pulled over for a radio moment as she was listening to us here on Talk of the Town. So thanks so much for your support, both of those folks called with renewals. And you can participate in, in the ongoing fundraise to help fundraise to help WERU with its, its financial goals. Give the uh, operators a call at 1-800-643-6273 and, and pledge your support. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings at each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balnain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests in the studio, Peggy Smith, a nonviolent communications instructor from Lincolnville, Shep Earhart of Maine Coast Sea Vegetables, and Kyle Bissell of Odalith Education. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program, and stay tuned for On the Ring, On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Mm-hmm.